Welcome to Dietitian Boss. I'm Libby Rothschild, your host and fellow dietitian. I'm a coach to my fellow female colleagues all around the world. I help you get leads and turn prospective clients into paying customers using online marketing and social media strategies that focus on sales. Hello and welcome. Today I'm here with Mode and Sartak Matrovadia, a team of two from Equal Parenting Nutrition. Mode is an RD that recently completed her PhD researching the impact of a nutrition and exercise intervention during pregnancy on the health of mothers and their infants. Sartak is currently an RD-to-be, having previously completed his PhD researching the metabolism of omega-3 and 6 fatty fats and, and models in obesity and exercise. The core value of their practice, family and co-nutrition, is to help infants eat well and grow normally in a food environment defined by parents that are equal partners. Most infant nutrition advice is geared towards mothers without catering to the unique voice and role of fathers. Some professional practice flat out exclude dads, but Mode and Sartak are here to change that and will help your family work as a team that learns and grows together. You can find them on familyandconutrition.com and on Instagram at equal.parenting.nutrition. Welcome to today's episode. Hello and welcome, Mode and Sartak. Hi, Libby. Thanks for having us. Hi. So happy to have you both, a wonderful team of two. I was wondering if there's anything you need me to fill in from that intro about your company and what you're about. No, that sounds pretty good and accurate to what we're doing and how we're doing it. Wonderful. All right, then I hope we can hop to it. And if you want to talk about your story with infant feeding and you know, how you got to where you are today, if you could just share that with us. Yeah. So I started, I guess, with the whole infant feeding. I've been trained as a dietitian with pediatric nutrition, and I decided that research was my thing at first. So I moved to um, Ontario, another province in Canada, to learn English and complete my master. And that's where I met Sartak. So that's how it all started. Um, And from there, I completed my master, moved on to my PhD, where I worked with a lot of pregnant women as part of a randomized control trial. So that brought a whole new um, set of experience and knowledge about life experience of women with pregnancy and newborns. And then, well, I got pregnant myself. So that was a transformative year. I was on math leave um, and we both of us had to kind of reassess both our lives, what we wanted, what we valued, and also what we wanted now that we were a family. So on one part, Sartak kind of landed his, or what he thought was his dream job in the dietary supplement industry. And we reflected a lot on how that might have like changed from what we're, our initial goals were. And we took some big changes, both redefining what our careers we wanted to have. And that's kind of where we really took family and co-nutrition and, and turned that into our business. And decided to kind of work together and create the business that we wanted that would go with the family life we wanted. That's wonderful. And you say that you're, you learned English. So can you talk to us about your, your first language and, and where you're originally from? Yeah, so I'm from Montreal. So my first language is in French. That's how I learned dietetics. I was trained in French. And being drawn to research, obviously, all of that is in English, right? So I, I kind of decided to take the big step to learn English, do my master in English to become fully fluent. And little did I know I would now live in an English province with an English husband and, <laughs> and have a business and counseling nutrition clients in English. 
Yeah, I love that story. And being multilingual is is a great advantage to have. And, and you're both multilingual, right? Yes, that's right. That's that's really incredible. You're so it's such a diverse couple. So I'm excited for you to share more stories about that. Thank um, you. Yeah, uh, Sartak, you want to tell us a little bit about what languages you speak? Yeah, so uh, I'm Gujarati, and that's uh, Gujarat is a state that's in India and. My parents came over to Canada in 1989, and I was basically one year one year old at that point. So I've been born and brought up in an English environment, but um, I still have retained my language, which is Gujarati as well. Amazing. And do you speak Gujarati and French to your child, or, or how are you raising your, your son? At the moment, we are focusing on a, a mix of French and English, and then I think when uh, he'll be a little bit older. We'll add in Gujarati if it feels natural. Very cool. Really, really cool. All right. And um, back to business. Can you talk to us about what does a, a passive support role mean? Uh, I know in the bio, we, we talked about that. And, and how does that affect the parent dynamic with respect to what you do as practitioners and how your business runs? Yeah. So, best example I can give you of a passive role is when we look at parents that are gearing up to introduce solid foods to their baby at around six months of age, usually what happens is there's an extension of the dynamic that is uh, existing during the maternity leave. And so in in the case of our ideal clients, well, usually the mom is on mat leave. She's handling the milk feeding and the primary care of the, the infant. And, you know, typically the dad is back at work. Maybe he had a short uh, time off, but you know, he's back at work. And so when it comes time to introduce solid foods, well, that dynamic is retained. And so if you look at the mom side of things, all of the pressure falls on her to figure out all of the safety and, and steps related to solid food introduction, as well as the milestones that the baby needs to progress towards. And also beyond that, she needs to and perhaps what's most challenging is be an expert troubleshooter because rarely do things go as smoothly as you expect. And so when we look at the passive role, we're referring to the father in this situation because from our market research, talking to loads of dads, um, you know, most of them just let mom continue figuring it all out and they rely on the mom to direct them during family meals. And so what happens is that the father's knowledge base of infant feeding is often just a fraction of what the mother knows because they haven't really gone out of their way or taken the initiative to learn um, the fundamentals. And so what happens is mom has to orchestrate mealtime, but also has to orchestrate fathers. And so it has a, a really negative impact on the parent dynamic because if you look at the mom side, again, all the pressure's on her. And so at best, if things go smoothly, uh, yes, the child eats well, uh, is growing well, and that's pretty much as good as it gets. And, and that's wonderful. But what happens m- more commonly is that when you hit roadblocks or, or, you know, different challenges come up, it's all on mom to figure out. And when things don't go well, it often leads to feelings of guilt and shame because uh, you feel inadequate. And on the other side, with, with fathers, it's also bad because they're missing out on a wonderful opportunity to bond with their child during mealtimes. And if we've learned anything from emerging family nutrition research involving dads is that they actually do have a distinct impact on their child's feeding behaviors. So the child is therefore missing out on this unique influence from the father as well. So overall, instead of becoming greater than the sum of their parts, the parents actually become less 
It's really powerful. And so with that, I suppose with family and co-nutrition, that's our goal. We want to make sure that the family food environment is defined by parents that are working equally on this goal of teaching their infant how to eat solid foods and grow well and and so on. And would you say that this concept of equal parenting nutrition and, and what you're discussing, is that common knowledge or is this something that most family dynamics are thinking about? Talk to us about like, if you think that this is a problem that people are aware of and how you've seen that in in the market research and the work you've done. Yeah, that's a good question. And I'm not sure that our ideal clients would come and name it and say, hey, I want like my family to work equally between me and my partner. But as soon as we kind of probe and ask questions about their concern, that's usually what it comes down to is the fact that the mom is overstretched. She's having trouble. She's like, bombarded by different opinions and then the dad is kind of more passive very supportive like you know yeah she's doing a great job but not like really involved in troubleshooting like Sartag explained so I think when we say like you know this is how we work with our clients we want both partners to be present when we do like the the visits and and that's how we are going to shape your family interaction and and impact the child so that the child can grow well like usually both parents are on board and it makes a lot of sense to them. So I think maybe a bit of awareness is lacking, but definitely like no pushback as to like, no, I don't want my, my partner to be in charge or involved. And, oh, sorry, go ahead, Libby. I was going to say, when you talk about awareness, is that also for those who want to start a family and see what you're doing on social and the work you're doing and are really inspired to then incorporate, you know, the whole family unit, or is this more awareness for those who already have one child or, or multiple children? I think when we first approached this, we were looking at couples that already had a child, but I think the indirect benefit is that people who are at the fa- family planning stage can actually benefit from the message that mm-hmm. we're trying to put out on social media. Because I mean, if you think about it from the time that your child is born to the stage of solid food introduction, it's a, it's a very quick four to six month period. So, um, and really that goes by in the blink of an eye. So I think really, I would say we're trying to capture both sides, but we're directly speaking to parents that have children at the solid food introduction stage. Yeah, that's a a great explanation. And it's really nice to also lend to those, uh, you know, like me who want to start a family and those who are seeing, you know, bringing awareness to those who might not understand how important it is to have that parent dynamic, you know, be balanced and strong. So it's, it's just a great role modeling message. Thank you. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your food values to kind of support what you had explained about the parent dynamic. Absolutely. I mean, if there's one thing that we learned um, working together as parents is that, you know, merging two sets of parents' food values is, is complex. And if I reflect on my own, I mean, I have struggled with dieting and food guilt and shame throughout my life. And I think that really stemmed from my childhood where I was brought up in a food environment where the food values were shaped by more strict religious beliefs rather than, say, nutrition principles. And so that really was something that stuck with me throughout my life. For example, you know, we were, my family, everyone is vegetarian, no one drinks alcohol, no um, eggs, meat, anything like that. And so um, it was almost vilified. And Mm -hmm. so when I grew up, I, when I was more curious about my diet, and what else I could really do with it related to my health, I, I carried a lot of shame with trying to explore new aspects of my diet. And when I look back at 
our practice at Family and Co Nutrition and, and what we're trying to achieve is that the window where parents introduce solid foods to their child is really a time where the child inherits the parents' food values um, because it will be a reflection of the parents' relationship with food. So if we can get parents to think about what food values they want to pass on to their child, then I think that would be a real win. And I guess I have a totally different <laughs> upbringing that I didn't really have any struggle. And now I realize it's probably quite rare. Like I have a lot of good memories associated with cooking and gardening with my parents. But when you do create a family and you find a partner and you talk, and that goes back to the planning stage almost, where you talk about having your own family and bringing kids in the mix. And in our case, we have two different culture that we're trying to merge. It's, it's a hard discussion that needs to be that needs to happen because what that's it, like Sartak said, what are the food values that are really important? What are the things that maybe you wish you were not having? Like if it's negative kind of food values or food tradition or behaviors, and then kind of like deciding what you'll pass on to your kids and what will shape now your own um, family tradition, family food values. And it takes a lot of communication. And again, it goes back to the equal parenting, what we really see as like both parents and both partners feeling equally heard and respected, right? Whatever it means, like it's not about one person winning over the other. It's more that you need to have this discussion and get to a point where both the partners feel comfortable moving forward and creating the family that they think is the best one. Yeah. And I, I love how you bring in, you know, the the food values and the two different, like the different food value upbringings, the diverse upbringings that you both have and how that's, you know, created a story for both of you individually and then for your family and having, you know, just acknowledging and even having that conversation can bring awareness to other families who have different food values and different food stories and that how that shapes their behavior and then the behaviors that they're role modeling to their kids. So this is all really important topics and actually quite complex. Yes, I would agree. <laughs> quite complex. And how have you seen any of the um, feedback, whether it's from anyone who you've impacted on social clients, those who you interacted, what have they said about their food stories or reactions to what you and, and Sartak are doing or you and Mode are doing in the community? Yeah, I think like the fact that we're two different culture that resonates a lot with our clients. Most of them are, mm -hmm. and and it usually brings one partner being vegetarian or raised in a vegetarian household, and the other one not. And they are kind of worrying about, you know, how do we now introduce solid foods? Do we do the meat thing, the vegetarian thing? Like, how do we make sure that baby grows well and that both parents are comfortable? Sometimes one of the parent is not cooking meat, for example. So that's like a very practical kind of situation. I We've been dealing with some of our clients. And I think the other one that maybe like they don't come thinking that's what we're going to address, but it's the fact that Sometimes you don't realize that you carry a lot of like bad association with food or that your own relationship with food and body image might be, I guess, suboptimal. And then they worry about their kids and they realize that, well, you know, maybe you have to also heal your own relationship before you can really like transmit something positive to your child, because obviously your child is learning from you. So, so that's, I think, something that um, we're also kind of appreciating with our clients is that you need to also come to a stage both parents where you're comfortable, where like all food fits and goes back to our message so that you can pass that on to your child if that's what you value. 
Such a powerful message. And I would also say that what you're doing and the, the food values that you're bringing to light at this stage, the, um, the parents that you're helping might be more motivated because, like you said, you know, this is all coming up as they're role modeling for their children at this important time in their children's life and development. Um, so where it's always good to talk about food values and, and reflect on your story, maybe you're, the parents who you're helping are more motivated and inspired because of their children's development stage. Yeah, definitely. I would, I would say so for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Really, really interesting. I absolutely love the work that you do. And I love how you're bringing light to, you know, bringing attention to the family dynamics and honoring the role of the dad and the mom for different reasons. Uh, So it's just really incredible work that you're doing. And make sure for those of you listening, definitely follow equal.parenting.nutrition on Instagram and let them know that, you know, their message is resonating with you too. Thanks, Libby. Yeah. I was wondering if we, if we could move on to some business questions about our work together and how you have like totally taken social media and used it as a platform to really deeply connect with your message and be really clear with what you're doing. So I was wondering if you could speak about working together and how you took the idea of, of what you, you know, the message that you communicate and how you're able to advance in your business. Yeah. So when, when we first started working with you, I think really we were the type of clients just to provide context for the listeners that, well, Moto's still finishing up her degree and I hadn't even started my dietetics program yet. And so I would say we were the type of clients that were kind of getting ahead to get our business started while we were completing our education. And I think that we believed we had a good understanding of our ideal, rather our ideal client, our niche, our target market. And I believe we thought we understood the pain points that they faced, but I think um, working with you early on, uh, it was really a case of let's go back to the drawing board and do a deeper dive. Let's be more focused. Um, and I think that, for instance, the workbook that you provided us in the first first few weeks of our program was really helpful because it allowed us to have a lot of back and forth uh, during our calls and also between for quick little check-ins. And it also provided a platform for us to both do market research. And we were trying to understand both the mom side of things as well as the dad. And, you know, of course that required unique market research because the parents are hanging out in different areas online and and so on. And um, I think that breakthrough there was that really we were, we have a much stronger idea of our clients' ideal pain points. And so really when we move forward with any of our, say, marketing or development of any materials or how we approach our practice as a whole, um, this really has set a strong foundation for us. And I guess one good example is that we had a blog that I had started and it was doing really well. Like we saw continuous growth and it was great. But when when we had an idea of like our ideal client, we realized that the blog was not serving any purpose for that ideal client. It was more written for like almost like our colleagues and and truthfully, that's who that's who was reading it and commenting on it. So not only we were kind of not serving our ideal clients, not generating any sales out of this blog, but it was also taking our time out of other things that we could have done to grow our business. So that was kind of humbling to, I guess, realize that, well, we tried our best, but that's it. Maybe it was time to reassess and that's totally okay to reassess and then to shift gears to like really concentrate on our ideal market and then go from there, maybe put the blog on pause and work on something else. 
And I think that's where Instagram was a really a breakthrough for us. I have to admit and share that funny moment when we were on that group call, Libby, or I think it was the mastermind. And I shared one of my own limiting beliefs about Instagram. And, you know, tra- historically, I don't have the best relationship with social media. And I often think that, you know, it, it doesn't make me feel better being on social media. But what happened was that as we worked with you to develop our Instagram strategy, especially being a smaller account and really just starting out, I actually think it's become something very powerful that I actually really enjoy. And one of the pitfalls of the blog was that we felt really really removed from direct contact with our ideal client. But here, it's so easy to communicate with our ideal client, as well as our um, esteemed colleagues, if you will. And, um, you know, because, and I think that's possible because you helped us get a framework. Um, You know, we have a checklist of our daily activities. We're able to track our metrics. We know what's working now, what isn't. um, And that helps us focus in on future strategies. I think even just the idea of overcoming your fear of being on camera and promoting yourself, of course, we're still working on that and, and, you know, continually improving, but really the overall shift is one from you go from one where you're consuming more of the content on Instagram to becoming more of a creator. And also by connecting with more of our colleagues and ideal clients, um, it's really, it's really been rewarding to even see their content and support others work as well. Incredible. Yeah, really incredible. And I, I appreciate all those reflections about creating systems for marketing, being prepared. And um, Sartak, I love how you're talking and reflecting about seeing social media as a content creator and not just a consumer and how Instagram can be a platform to create a powerful message. And I think some of you who are listening still might not believe that. And I, I want you to, for those of you listening, to be inspired by this because, you know, it is possible to use social media as a powerful platform and medium. It's all about realigning, you know, who you're talking to and what problem you're solving. And, and Mode and Sartak are a great example of doing that and, and in a way that really aligns with what they believe in. So how do you balance being a business of two? And do you have any, you know, what tips have you practiced and do you have any suggestions? Because I, I know there's uh, several people out there who have a business of two, although it's maybe not as common as a business of one. Yeah, <laughs> we're still figuring it out, but I wouldn't do it any differently. As you know, and I'm sure that most of your listeners know, it's hard to build a business. It takes a lot of hard work. And although it can be really rewarding, and that's what I love the most working with Sartak is that whenever we have wins, and it can be very like small daily wins, like it's really special to kind of share this and be like, oh, look at what we've just accomplished. So that's kind of what keeps me like doing the work we're doing. And I'm, I'm glad we're doing it together. In terms of the logistic, I think what has been really key and we've kind of come to a better system with time is having clear divisions of tasks mm-hmm. and really playing to our strength. And it also aligns with like even the values of our like equal parenting values as part of family and co-nutrition, right? So for example, Sartak is really good with Instagram. I think he really likes it too. And he's really naturally good at making graphics and kind of taking a complex idea and putting it into a nice infographic. So he's kind of in charge of this and On the other end, I'm seeing clients at this point. I'm the only one seeing clients. So I can bring back ideas and like pain points clients have been 
telling me or even like the exact wordings that we've been discussing in our sessions with clients. And you can highlight that into a graphing and post that on Instagram. So we work towards the same goal, but we each contribute something that's unique and that's divided so that we, we don't overlap and kind of lose energies doing the same thing or duplicating any efforts. And that comes with a lot of trust, obviously. So be sure that you pick a right partner, both business and for marriage. But um, <laughs> the other thing is we reassess often. And when, I, when we started originally, I was doing my PhD. So Sartak was um, perhaps working more than I was on the business. And now it's kind of another situation where Sartak is now back in school. So I'm trying to pull more weight and, and push forward and make sure that you know I can do as much as I can so that he has time to study and and succeed at school. So there's always reassessing. And also because we are a family and we are a couple, I don't know if it's before we were a business partner, but this, this is our reality. We're also trying to manage times where we don't talk about the business. So kind of protecting our family time, protecting our couple time. Um, and that even like is true for anyone who's solo business, right? Like you still have a life beside your business. And, and we try to kind of build systems that respect that so for example for us weekends are family time with our son so we try to have system in place where we can actually like focus on our family time and our son and not having to think about our business we know it's either not the time or that we've taken the steps during the week so that we can enjoy our weekend without worrying so that's what I've been working for us but as I said we also reassess often because that's okay that it changes and it, it's normal, I think, as you grow a business and also as life changes, it brings different challenges that you might have not foreseen, but that's totally okay. Yeah, and I, I like how you brought up such important parts such as you know the, the balance between separating business and personal time and respecting weekends with your son and then the evolution of like when Sarah talks back in school or you know when you're finishing up or doing something with your PhD, obviously the dynamics and the roles are going to change. And so not having a static perspective of the business, but really understanding that the business evolves just as you two evolve, um, that can be really complex. And it's so nice that you have the ability to communicate and have that uh, relationship with each other where you can really have that strong accountability. And so that is a really nice part about being in a partnership. Yeah, for sure. If you can balance it well, right? If you can respect each other and understand each other's quirks, uh, we, we all have them, right? Yeah. <laughs> So I was wondering if we could talk about also Sartak's involvement in, in research with, with studying dads and how it serves as market research uh, to guide your business strategies. Absolutely. So this year I joined the dietetics program and it's been going really well. Uh, so, you know, hashtag RD to be life and it's, <laughs> it's been really enjoyable. Um, I did see an opportunity to leverage my strengths as a researcher, um, having a lot of experience in that area, um, because there is, and I approached a researcher rather, I, I should say, at my university who is known for studying the role of fathers in uh, the context of family nutrition. So I was thinking, what a great match. And uh, I am now a member of her team. And it serves me well because I'm, I feel that on one hand, I'm helping advance the field. And in that context, there's very little uh, research that explicitly looks at fathers in the context of family nutrition. It's something like less than 10% of studies out there have, you know, distinct data on fathers. And so 
as I said, I'm, I feel really proud to help advance the field in that aspect. But at the same time, from my business perspective, you know, I feel like I'm being more intentional with my time because it's helping me understand my ideal client better and their struggles. And hopefully it help, it's helping me establish my authority in the field. And I can take these lessons and values that I've learned and use it to better serve the clients that uh, work with our, our business. And so it's it's been a really exciting evolution. I mean, this is just something that happened a few weeks ago. Of course, uh, I'm, I'm very proud to be involved with that. So, Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And are you sharing that story of your involvement on social media? Or since it's so new, you're still trying to figure out what pieces to share on social? Exactly. Um, you know, things are really just taking off right now. And so, um, and also I would say that uh, in from a research standpoint, I'm more of a, a benchtop scientist and this area is more social science based. So for me, it's really learning a new language of, of science and, um, and this area of research. So I'm taking things uh, one step at a time, but I feel that it's going to really help bring an, another level of powerful marketing on our, on our social media platform, especially with Instagram. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, it's such a, that's a, a great angle. So I, I appreciate the work that you're doing both of you. And I also appreciate how you're, you know, really diving deep into understanding. And like you said, getting involvement in this underrepresented aspect of, you know, equal parenting nutrition and of dads and, and their role with, with feeding and the family. Is there anything else that as we wrap up here today that you wanted to share with uh, the listeners? Um, I think that's about it for my end. How about you, Maud? No, I think we've covered it all, but thanks for having us. Thank you so much for joining today. I, I love the time we have together. And I um, think that this is such a great episode to share for those who are you know, interested in equal parenting nutrition, whether you are expecting you have kids or you know, you want to understand more about, uh, you know, family nutrition and also a, a, t- a team of two. So thank you for your time. Thanks so much, Libby. Thank you for joining today's episode. If you'd love to learn more about how to get leads online and turn prospective customers into clients, apply for my coaching. I still have a wait list. Go ahead and visit LibbyRothschild.com. That's www.LibbyRothschild.com. Go under signature service and apply for my wait list.